0: we as an institution seem to kind of fall in love with these problems and we build initiatives around them. And, you know, we have task forces and committees and and everything focused on these problems as if they're separate. So we have, you know, an anti-bullying campaign, a suicide prevention task force, a dropout prevention plan, et cetera. But when we kind of back map all of this, there's a, there's a common thread um, that we could, address, which is basically the lack of belonging and, uh, um, you know, what what precedes that is um, often the lack of
1: dignity. I'm Jim Knight, co-founder of the Instructional Coaching Group, and you're listening to Coaching Conversations, where I talk with coaching experts from around the world so that all of us could learn better ways to make an unmistakably positive impact people around us. Radical Learners is the latest PD development from instructional coaching group founders Jim and Jenny Knight. Based on 25 years of research, this asynchronous platform provides learning at your own speed. Unlimited viewing and chat forums in a shared community space, all offered on an educator's budget. Content is outlined by chapter and then by lessons, allowing for learners to quickly and easily access answers when they need them. To learn more, visit RadicalLearners.com. It's great to see you both. I'm grateful for your time. I know you're both super busy. John, you're probably flying off somewhere, and, Boyd, you're probably going to a meeting soon, so I better get going here. But it's it's great to see you both. And I'm curious to know the story of how you came to work on the work you do and how the two of you came to work together. So I thought I'd start with that question.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, this... Uh, has been something that uh, we talk about from time to time. Um, John and I both have known each other for for quite a while, uh, just professionally through the conference circuit. Uh, and um the timing had never aligned in such a way for us to be able to uh, kind of come together and work on a project. and uh, I remember very vividly. Uh, the day because uh i was uh, at either an aquarium or the children's museum in denver i know exactly what part of town i was in i was having a conversation with john via twitter and um we were well he had asked you know when are we going to finally find some time to be able to, to work together and i said hey i've got an idea that um wow, i'm still trying to organize in my head and um um of all the people that I know, there's nobody else um um that I know that is um best to help kind of build this out, um, or um, more qualified to do that than you. So I said, um, here's kind of some ideas and thinking about and at the time I'd been spending a lot of time kind of focusing on um just humiliation and humiliation studies and its relationship and thinking about how humiliation plays a huge role in the way that we interact in schools. And, um, wanting to think about that more in an affirmative way. And so that was when, uh, these ideas of dignity were just kind of starting to make sense to me. Uh, and this, I, I knew that this, this work required a partner, required somebody to, to help, um, Build it out and uh, reached out uh, to John, and, and that kind of just really started our process. And it turned into something far greater uh, than uh, I ever could have uh, imagined. And, you know, we were both still working in, in, in school districts at the time and, you know, trying to think through what implementation uh, could look like wow. and, and really kind of how we could do a better job at uh, supporting, uh, students, supporting teachers, supporting families, uh, in this, you know, broader effort of, of trying to improve just achievement, uh, in schools altogether. So that's, that's the recollection that I have. I don't know if John was anything any different.
1: Yeah. Let's see what his story is. So what, what do you think, John? I
0: actually remember texting from Hershey Park. So I guess that's where Floyd and I, are, our lives were at the time, but, um, the excitement the energy that started to build and i don't know was that around 2016 2015 okay so um it was interesting it's just fascinating and and i do use the word magic and i don't have any better way to describe it but it, it it started around that year and it just continues um I, I would say almost daily, Floyd and I are kind of processing the world around us through, through these big ideas. Um, and uh, I'm just continuing to learn. You know, Floyd is, you know, we, we write together. We, you know, have this consulting uh, endeavor, but um, he, he's just the best thought partner I could ever imagine because just the way that I process the world around me is so different than it was eight years ago um not in a, uh, not in a 180 degree shift or anything like that but but more of clarity um at the time that our lives converged around 2015 16 i, I was very much focused on you know, student outcomes and how to support schools with school improvement getting better in terms of um, creating the conditions where where people have the opportunity to really be at their best um and as we dug into the concept of dignity and later belonging, um, it still amazes me how precisely uh, uh, those concepts reveal what people need in their lives um, to be at their best. You know, it's like the, the, the vagueness is dissipated. We can get to a level of refinement of what people are asking for. Even in, even when they're expressing rage, if we could cut through that rage and really get down to what are the human needs that are being expressed to help a person or a group of people feel like, you know, they're people of value and worth, you know, that they matter. And, um, it was really several years of almost daily text messages about things going on. Um, that really was the evolution of uh, the ideas that got us to this place. And it can it, it, it continues. You know, we're not, by any means, we're, we're, we haven't learned everything we need to learn. But uh, we're at the point where our thinking really is so focused in on what I think was the subtext. I don't know, Floyd, if you'd agree with this. It was like the subtext of the book was really conflict. And I think we're doing a lot more nowadays to help people see that you know, just more clearly that sometimes it's they're dealing with almost meta conflict, which is you know I think about conflict about conflict, and they don't even realize that it's
1: conflict.
0: So we try to help them, you know, see that a little bit more clearly.
1: I'm so I'm hearing a couple big big concepts: um, humiliation, dignity, and belonging. Seem to be three big words here. Could you guys say something about? Um, maybe Floyd I'll go back to you since you raised the term when you talk about humiliation I mean I understand the word but could you sort of paint a picture for what you were thinking about with, and I'm I'm assuming you mean schools or do you mean the broader culture
2: um I actually meant the broader culture in general um and the way that we use it um you know I, like I said I had been really um previously kind of thinking about how uh, discrimination um, in the various ways that it can happen um, across any particular identity group. Uh, thinking about the effect that it has, the effect that it has is one of humiliation. And, uh, you know, I, I was spending a lot of time kind of thinking about um, and learning about just the distinctions between the emotions of guilt shame and humiliation and a lot of times uh we conflate the terms in terms of what they mean and and however uh there's a there's a number of people who who said this i'm not the first so um and i've learned from lots of people to arrive at this point so i want to make sure that i say that very clearly that the the three emotions are very very different right that that guilt is is something that has to do with um um the, the 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 person who has um done something right um and feels bad and or sorry about the thing that i had done right so i feel guilty because uh i don't know um uh, i i took more samples at costco than i probably should have right so i i feel a little bit of guilt about that like but they were so good um and nonetheless i decided to to take a few extra samples uh, at, at Costco, so you know, feeling feeling a little guilty about that. That's guilt. Shame is a little bit different uh, in the fact that shame really has to do with the fact that uh, we're we're saying that uh, not necessarily that I have done something that I am b- that is bad, but I myself I'm ashamed for how I behave, so I probably am a bad person. So there's there's a subtle distinction there and the feeling that I feel is bad because I am a bad person. Humiliation is different from those because the internal conversation that we have with humiliation has to do with um you know I feel bad but I've done nothing to deserve the fact that I feel bad. And that difference uh was something that I was just interested in exploring, you know, at the time. And like I said, trying to say, okay, if this isn't what we want to feel, then what is it that we do want to feel? And what we do want to feel is, you know, feeling dignified. And so when you pull that back out, I think in terms of where we are right now, culturally, uh, you know, certainly... Social media was a thing in 2016, but uh, the the ways that it has shifted and moved, and new platforms have emerged, uh, and the the culture has largely you know changed. I think that in a lot of ways and places, you know, sometimes these platforms are, are where people go to, you know, um, you know ex- express their emotions more oftentimes negative uh, than positive. And, um, and so we see in our broader climate and culture, you know, a, a, a lot of these effects of, of sort of guilt, shame, and in some places humiliation where, uh, you know, these platforms can be used um, as 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 weapons and tools to be able to humiliate. And so our 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 schools aren't disconnected from that. Our educational system isn't disconnected from that. You know, when we think about so much of the trauma that we hear that our students are experiencing in schools on a regular basis, uh, a lot of times people will point to some of the effects that social media has uh, on their experiences. And if you kind of dial it all back and strip it all apart, uh, what I, what I continue to think about over and over again is how might this platform, um, um, lead to either students feeling humiliated, uh, or students feeling, you know, some form of shame, um, that it's
1: associated, you know, with, with who they are or how they present themselves. So let me see if I've got this. And then John, I want you to tell me anything you want to add to this, but and guilt is, I have guilt over what I did. You know, I I I was uh, rude to my mother and talked back to her and now I feel guilty. Shame is about who I am. You know, I, I, I feel guilt for what I did, but shame is more about, I feel that I'm not a really good person because a, a really good person would not have done that to his mom. So it's more about the kind of person I am. And then... It's okay to tell me I haven't got it right, but then humiliation and and guilt and shame we do to ourselves. It's uh, uh, there could be something external that generates it, but we we choose. But humiliation is done to us, and so someone external, usually with more power over us in some way, uh, does humiliation to us. Is that that a accurate description, or am I I And they've done something
2: to us, and we do not. And we, in our mind. Have decided that we do not deserve to be treated that way. That 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 extra piece is one of the more important pieces associated with it.
1: John, you want to add to my my halting attempts to paraphrase Lloyd's great explanation. No, I think it was great. I, I think
0: where where we we took some of that thinking was that it ends up affecting people in ways where they feel like sometimes feel like well often feel like they have to to do something. Uh, in order to be worthy uh, in order to you know be worthy of belonging uh, in any environment, in other words, they have to achieve to belong. and that ends up creating this really unhealthy dynamic that manifests itself in so many ways in, in the broader society and and in schools more locally. Um, and what's interesting, just to circle back to to something we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is the the precise focus in on what we want to create in terms of conditions for success, unhealthy dynamic of feeling like you need to achieve to belong, um, you know, manifests itself in so many problems that we're trying to deal with in schools. You know, um, everything from violence to dropout rates to um, underperformance to um Eating disorders to suicide ideations, to you know bullying, et cetera. And uh, one thing uh, I've heard Floyd point out just so many times is that we, as an institution, seem to kind of fall in love with these problems, and we build initiatives around them. And you know, we have task forces and committees and and everything focused on these problems as if they're separate so we have you know an anti-bullying campaign a suicide prevention task force a dropout prevention plan etc but when we kind of back map all of this there's a there's a common thread um that we could address which is basically the lack of belonging and uh um you know
1: what what precedes that is um often the lack of dignity So, So, um, I'm loving this conversation and I'm just going to throw out one idea, which is that I wonder if shame is a cause for people to humiliate other people. And that is because I feel shame about myself, I'll make myself feel better by having power over another and putting them down. Is that, am I, what do you think? Yes. And, you know, like I
2: said, Donna Hicks, who kind of helped to solidify these ideas for us, would refer to that as just a form of false dignity, right? That Mm -hmm. we believe that our dignity is achieved by making people who are less uh, powerful than us uh, feel small. And so the efforts that we wind up taking is one of uh, broader humiliation. So if we were to think about this in the construct of bullying, right? Where There's a lot of conversations uh, that emerge related to that. Ultimately that is what is happening in that dynamic. Somebody who is more powerful uh, is uh, going out of their way uh, to humiliate uh, their intended target and um, and will continue uh, to do so until uh, either they're either satisfied or, or exhausted. Um, But when that, uh and, and so for the target, it's a real difficult thing because they're like, wait a minute. I like, I haven't done anything to, to, to the cause of this. This person just won't leave me alone. Like, stop it. Like what's going on. And what's so difficult to understand is that the problem doesn't exist with the target. Right. The part or the problem, the issue exists with the perpetrator. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very difficult thing to be able to make sense of in the moment, especially in a world and a climate where we can sometimes have people say to targets, "Well, if you would just, well, why don't you try? Well, have you considered? Right, all of these things that somehow suggest that." If there was something that the target did, it would somehow make the perpetrator change his or her behavior. And we, I think as as adults, we do a, a good job kind of understanding how that construct doesn't work very well when it comes to children. However, in our adult relationships, we sometimes don't always extrapolate that out. And think about you know how uh, it can work. And so where John and I were trying to go with this with this work, going back to his point earlier that he made about conflict, was that uh, what we started to realize that all of the things that we kind of put fancy words around uh, in education for the problems that we're trying to solve, very simplistically, are nothing more than broader matters of conflict that have to be resolved in some way, shape, or form. The the reasoning and the histories that led to the conflict may be different, but at the end of the day, it's just something as simple as that. And so the ideas, the concepts and tools that we needed to use to be able to resolve them and,
1: and find a path forward are always going to kind of bring ourselves back to this so is is dignity i'll just throw that out to either either of you but is dignity kind of uh the opposite of humiliation is is that how you would put it we could humility is on one side dignity is on the other side it, it, it's it, it was it was literally the antonym like the, yeah, the okay. arrival at dignity
2: uh, from my process was i had spent so much time focusing on humiliation that i literally went to a thesaurus and i said okay I, I get a very clear understanding of what it is that we do not want. So, what then? What is what is the affirmative thing that we are after, if this is the thing we are trying to avoid? And that's how that happens. Hmm.
1: So, John, I'll go back to you. So, then um, is belonging the way we create settings where dignity is flourishing? I- in part, it's it's that's one way to think about it. Um, I'm going to go for the simple way. Sorry. Yeah. At no. It's, I, t- I tend to uh, boil things down to way too simplistic. But go go ahead. Sorry.
0: Well, we uh, there's a term that actually captures how we think about this. It's called simplexity. Yes. And yeah, and so dignity really is the the simple part of it. The complexity is is how it unfolds. You know, in our human lives and um, in our organizations because there are so many moving parts, but also in terms of belonging, um, you can also think of it as the beginning and the end, uh, that, you know, we, um, we have to help people belong so they can, you know, have a better chance to, to do their best work. And in the end, what we're really shooting for are, are, you know, some, some outcomes that are, for instance, aligned with, That phrase in the preamble of the Constitution of the United States, you know, to ensure domestic tranquility, really to resolve the issue of who belongs here. And so it's a big thing that we're shooting at, too. So uh, uh, the simple the simple way that I think about it. Is that dignity leads to belonging. Um, So a lot of times in our educational vernacular, we're talking about evidence and, and action um, so, if we were to kind of fold uh, or layer that type of thinking on top of our work, we could think of uh, belonging as the evidence, dignity as the action. And there's a big idea there, um, which, which is simple but so hard, which is how we need to build feedback loops where we can actually collect evidence of how people are, are experiencing our environment. To what degree are they feeling like they belong? In other words, assess the climate, right, and then from that feedback, that gives us a better sense of the degree to which people are experiencing the presence of dignity, or you know, more acutely, dignity being honored. Um, so, you know, that allows us then to make adjustments and to to learn whatever it is we need to learn about how to better honor dignity, so that we can go back and do our planning, our preparation, whatever adjustments we need to make and reassess now how people, how are people feeling here? To what degree are people feeling like they belong? What belonging gaps do I have either in my classroom my school, my district? And just keep that feedback loop going as a normal part of the way
1: that we do things. So that's very similar to coaching, at least as coaching in the way we describe it, because we would say we want to focus on the change, or the goal, or the outcome we want. In this case, the outcome is dignity. And then we want to look at the pathway to the goal, which is belonging. And strategies, correct me if I've got this wrong, but it's we want belonging as the way in which the outcome we get is dignity. And then you want to be adaptive and saying, well, this thing is working, but this part isn't working. And here's something we can do. And you need to kind of keep keep aware of the level of I don't know if you can call it level of dignity, but be aware of that w- what's happening. rate, anyway, does that make sense? Uh, uh, the idea that, because I'm thinking of hope theory and hope theory says you have a goal, you have a pathway to the goal, and you have a belief you can hit the goal, agency. And when I have agency, I believe I can get there and I believe this pathway is going to take me there. And I know where I want to get to. Then you have hope. And I see coaching as building hope by setting up that dynamic. But it seems to me that's as I'm listening, that's what I'm thinking is at play here. Dignity is the goal. Um, belonging is the pathway. And if you if you
2: really stop and think about you know the relationship that you know the coach and the student or the coach and um, the athlete, you know I think that this can apply uh, in a number of of different ways. That you know the the, the coach is trying to. Create an environment where the stakes of failure are not so high, or when failure occurs, that the again that guilt or shame that one might feel um, when failing um, um, is lessened. Right there's there's a there's a net there's a pathway forward. There are avenues to be able to improve and, and know exactly and precisely what is necessary in order to improve. You know, that, that is, that is what the relationship between a coach and, uh, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's athletes, it's supporters, it's students are going to need. And what's important about the role of the coach is the coach has to know, um, you know, those, those individual needs and or triggers that are going to uh, support that individual and being able to, um, you know, achieve dignity. Like I, I, I helped to coach my daughter's softball team and, um, you know, I, I say this a lot that as somebody grew up playing sports, um, as a boy, uh, learning how to coach girls is, is different for me. And because their motivations, um, in the ways that they respond, the, the, way that the girls specifically that I coach respond is different. And so I can't kind of go back to the motivators that I would have, which is, oh, just run a lap, and, you know, you know, you know, do different things that, you know, um, think that it's gonna, gonna support them. There are just different ways that we have to go about talking to each and every one of the players. In order for them to be able to maximize you know their own uh potential and you know one of the you know um one of our parents uh you know constantly will say that you know um you know boys boys will have to win to feel good and uh sometimes girls will have to feel good in order to win and um she says that as the mother of of, of one of the 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 players and I constantly kind of keep that in the back of my mind in terms of saying that you you can't cookie cutter this. Uh, you got to know you know what everybody needs.
0: This really this uh, also illustrates the complexity that we were talking about, or you can think of it as a fractal or you know iterative type of process. Where um, as a coach, uh, I, I I have to know that the person I'm coaching or the people I'm coaching need to have certain conditions in place for them to be able to perform well and, and even learn well right which means it, we define it as they have to experience some degree of appreciation acceptance validation and fair treatment those are all indicators that that they, they they're experiencing their dignity being honored uh, or in other words they're experiencing belonging with me the coach um, so that ends up being a goal and it's more of an intermediate goal because we we have to keep in mind that the the end goal is really performance. If we're talking about students, it's growth and, and achievement. You know, uh, belonging is indeed a goal, but it's in service of of the bigger goal of our schools, which is you know commonly refer, we refer to it as achievement. Um, and we always have to keep that in mind, uh, especially in the middle of of conflict and criticism about schools uh for instance only caring about relationships nowadays they forgot how to teach math it's just these things i hear out there especially on social media platforms keeping in mind that that is the creation of a false dilemma belonging uh is one of the primary activators uh, of learning uh it's one of the primary conditions that we need to be successful in our work in our personal relationships or in our academics Um, so on one layer, you know, as a coach, I'm paying attention to that with my person or people that I'm directly involved with, but then I'm also helping them focus on the conditions that whoever it is that they're serving need to be in place. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a simple pattern. It's a simple, uh,
1: formula that ends up being incredibly complex. We're not likely going to have, uh, settings where students feel belonging unless we have settings where teachers aren't humiliated themselves. And there are lots of uh, evaluation systems and professional development models, leadership styles that are kind of grounded in humiliation. So it almost seems like job one is that um, we need to create a place where all human beings in the system feel feel like they have dignity, that they're seen and valued, and that um, they're not humiliated.
2: Yeah, and I and I think that you know, to kind of extend this a little bit, that if back to the point that I was making before, which is that I I think one of the things that you'll oftentimes hear is that you know we we all desire to be treated be treated with dignity, but we don't always know how to treat one another with it. Like Donnie Hicks will say that, and um, if you think about it in this particular context, it's that. Uh, sometimes we've we've be, uh, fooled ourselves into believing that indignity uh, is a successful motivator in and of itself, uh, and that sometimes if we humiliate people and, and treat them with indignity, then that they'll improve. And the, the the effect of that in a lot of ways is the opposite, right? So again, if you're a coach and um, you know you have somebody that you're guiding or supporting, um. And the motivation is always, always through humiliation and indignity. Uh, the, the immediate question that somebody is going to ask is, do I belong here? Right? Like is, is, you know, is somebody coming in to take my place? Uh, and, you know, do I, am I, am I right here? Like, and those are honest and in, reasonable questions that can be asked. and, You know, I've 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 heard this said in conferences of leaders, um, and I you know I don't I don't always think that it you know in some cases it's 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 fully solidified. It's certainly something that's always uh, operating in my mind. Um, Doesn't mean that we're always effective at it, but it's always operating. Which is, you know, again, how do we create environments, or how do we do our best? Uh, to make sure that um, when we are leading, even through the hardest of times, that we still find a way to preserve the dignity of the person that we're talking to in the moment, and and that can lead to from from anything from a simple corrective conversation uh, all the way up to a termination. Uh, that it doesn't doesn't need to 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 be that way where you know. Uh, you know, someone is reprimanded or even terminated, and and then has to engage in this broader walk of shame. Uh, you know, in front of uh, either the whole faculty or you know, uh, in front of everyone, because because that it winds up kind of having this sort of deleterious effect on the culture in, in and of itself. So that's always something that's that's constantly operating. And I think that yeah, if we create those conditions, and and that's, this, I think is what we've said before is that if we do a better job of modeling the behavior that we want to see, hopefully uh, those people we support can do
1: the same. So I'm wondering, I've got two more questions. And um, one of them is I wonder if, as you think about uh, people like instructional coaches, educational coaches, uh, what are one or two things, and maybe I'm, again, dumbing the thing, the, the conversation down to a simplistic, not complexity but some just simple, <laughs> simplistic. Um, but what are a couple things you would say, well, this is the starting point for thinking about, um, thinking about belonging, dignity and humiliation. So, um, I'd love to hear just a couple suggestions you've got for coaches on what they should do.
2: You know, I think first and foremost if i'm thinking if if i'm thinking about it kind of very contextually in terms of um a school uh i can what's coming to my mind immediately is somebody thinking about instructional coaching as a punishment and in some cases some people wanting to be resistant um and disinterested in receiving any guidance or support from, from someone. And I think the dialogue that might be happening in that particular moment is me, my peers knowing that I have a coach is humiliating, right? Like, like in their minds, that could very easily be a dialogue. And so then what that can do is for that in first relationship with that instructional coach, it can wind up being, a challenge, like ugh, like you know, I don't know, I'm like, I know you asked me to come support this person, but ugh, i'm I'm not sure how this is this is this is gonna work out, and so I think that I think that um the the initial conversations that that need to happen and the initial relationship that needs to be built in those particular circumstances or situations uh needs to be understood with that in mind. Like this is the worry. This is the fear uh that uh this person uh might be experiencing in that particular moment and what um, the antidotes uh and the solutions to that are one uh helping to uh uh one confirm for the person that that they that they truly belong here and then two uh, be sure to, you know, treat them with dignity within the process. Now, I'm not going to say that, that, you know, the, 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 person has to be willing to receive that. I want to make sure that, that I'm clear, uh, when I say that, but provided that the person is willing to receive that, that then gets us into a place and space where, uh, we have an opportunity to be able to move forward and there can be increased receptivity to the, to the guidance uh, that might be being provided. Uh, in that uh particular moment but immediately like that like the worry like the hard one like that's the one that kind of comes to my mind because I'm like well gosh, what am what' am, what am I going to do with this individual because because the the easy and the simple way is well listen to me or, or you're gonna be fired right like like in those most contentious types of ways and that doesn't get us into a place uh, where we're um in a in a productive way now, the flip side of that those who are welcoming and receiving of coaching those who are thinking about it in ways of getting better those those ones tend to be um a little bit easier cuz the worry is not there it's it's a it's a this constant pursuit of excellence how do i continue to improve how do i continue to get better those ones those ones prove to be less of a challenge but what, we, what i do know in my experience is that the, that instructional coaches don't always have the option, the opportunity, or
0: frequency to be able to work with exclusively those types of individuals and those types of folks. John, how about you? Well, to start to start thinking about these ideas, um, I think uh, a very simple way of of experiencing both dignity and belonging is, is learning how to be a better listener. And that sounds so simple, but anyone who kind of works with the idea of learning to be a better listener knows it's it's hard it's something i've been working on directly on a daily basis for you know almost a couple decades and i still catch myself falling into traps you know being triggered in ways that you know take me away from actually helping someone feel heard but that's something we can all work on right it's it's we can all work on how to be a better listener and the effect that that has on people um is is incredible when people feel heard they feel worthy right they feel valid uh or validated um they it's one of the things I, I i noticed you have Amanda Ripley coming to you know your TLC conference this year and Floyd and I are both really really big fans her work has influenced our thinking um uh in important ways um she talks about it as, as one of the ways that we can find our ways out of conflict and, and not even good conflict, high conflict. Um, so listening becomes you know something that we can study, experience, reflect on that almost is a microcosm of the bigger you know the bigger dynamic. Um, some other places to start. Other than, you know, our belonging through a culture of dignity book, which we try to really express these ideas in simple language, which was a task in and of itself. Um, Outside of that, uh, Donna Hicks has a a great book called Leading with Dignity, where she, you know, she does just a brilliant job of operationalizing an ancient word, you know, dignity um, in terms of the things that we all want to feel like we matter Uh, There's also some brilliant thinkers on the concept of belonging, Uh, uh, John Powell and his Othering and Belonging Institute, um, following them on social media, a lot of practical tips. Uh, There are some folks out of Stanford that have been doing great research. Jeff Cohen is one. Uh, He's a social psychologist out of Stanford. He just published a book on belonging. Uh, and has a lot of practical ideas for educators um, based on, you know, empirical evidence, you know, research that they've done on things that we can do to help nurture belonging. Um, and he describes, he describes our current state of affairs, not only in schools, but but beyond as a, a crisis of belonging. And uh, we see that, we see the evidence of that in our schools with things like teacher shortages. And just what you were saying earlier, Jim, with you know, uh, if we're going to help students, we have to make sure, you know, teachers don't feel humiliated. And, you know, we're dealing with a, an environment right now where the escalation of conflict is right in front of us, which is what you two were talking about with, you know, I feel bad, so I'm going to make someone else feel bad. Um, and breaking that that cycle really is the, the work. And it's, again, it sounds simple, but if we reflect on our own lives, Floyd and I will be the first to say, it's like we're working on this stuff daily in our personal lives with, you know, trying to mitigate our, our triggers and and trying to do our very best to help, you know, the folks around us, even in our families, feel like they belong. Um, uh, and uh, so it ends up being being really, really hard work, but there are some some practical things that I think can help kind of be starting points for us to engage in in learning about these two big concepts that really are well beyond schools, that really where we're, we're, how we're thinking about it nowadays is these two ideas really represent um, probably two of the biggest factors in terms of the quality of life that we all live.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great to be thinking about these things and to reflect on. I mean, I'm, I'm just a conscious of the fact that changing how you interact with people isn't, isn't an easy thing to do. And, uh, and that's why your comment about, uh, listening is high leverage. You know, that's I've I've said, this in a couple of other podcasts but people are going to get sick of it, but I love, what she, Amanda Ripley, adds to listening, which is saying to the person, "Have I got that right?" And that little question means you have to be listening to ask the question, and it also means you're letting the other person know you, you know, I really want to make sure I understand you. And and I felt that in conversation. I, I, I was just thinking; I kind of felt badly about my question because I thought it's really not a simple thing. I mean we've done that dignity thing. Now we're moving on to, you know, learning maps is not the way we want it to be. It's an, I would imagine it's an ongoing continual reflection on how can we create safer environments where kids and adults all feel like this is a place I belong. Maybe, um, could you say a bit about, and I realize you may not have worked out what you're going to teach it to or present it to but, um, uh, could you kind of give us an idea of what we might be doing there, or it's perfectly okay to say, you know, we still haven't talked about it, but it's, there's a good chance it's going to look like this. So any, any thoughts about what you're going to do at TLC?
0: Yeah, I think the latter kind of describes it. We we know that, um, you know, we've been in TLC for for a couple of years now, and we don't just want to repeat the, the basics on dignity and belonging. Um, we want to kind of add the current context and thinking to it, which is probably making conflict a little bit more explicit. Uh, for folks, or uh, and or getting them into the process, um, we do a lot of work with with school teams, and so we lead them through an improvement process that centers belonging, requires you know a feedback loop and the identification of a specific problem to work on. Uh, we call them belonging challenges, and then using the tools of dignity to address the problem and then always returning back to the metrics and and saying, are we indeed making a difference in terms of how people are experiencing my classroom, my school, this district, et cetera? Um, So that's kind of our thinking now is is, uh, a little bit more into the evidence and action aspect. Floyd, any thoughts on that? No, I I think that's right. Again, I think that um,
2: what we're Constantly trying to think about is, uh, one, um, just again, how these ideas relate to conflict. One and, and two, how we can all participate collectively, um, both as, as perpetrators and targets of this, uh, and, you know, really kind of try to c- continue to keep that in mind is that, uh, no matter who we are, no matter, uh, what our identity is, we can all find ourselves in a situation where we are. Uh, violating someone's dignity, and uh, I think that what we're trying to continue to go to do is is uh, push everyone to to think about uh, uh, how they can participate in this system, and then how we can each individually work towards breaking that.
1: What I'm taking away from today is just thinking about just how my way of interacting can foster dignity. I think it doesn't have to be a teacher with a student. It's every interaction. How can we create places where people feel and maybe um, maybe just reflecting on how we interact. So I'm super grateful for you guys coming to TLC. I can't I can't wait to see what grows out of it. But I always I always learn so much, but today's been especially especially helpful. So I'm grateful to both of you. I can't wait to see you. It's coming up sometime in October in Florida. So it'll be interesting. Looking forward to it.